Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to security, business continuity, risk, resilience, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Today, we're going to be talking about a very important subject, something that's in the headlines around the world, ransomware. And I'd like to welcome back to the show today, Agni Sarkar. Agni, welcome back. Hey, Alex. Thank you. And I'm very happy that I'm here. It's good to be back. It's good to have you here, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, we're going to talk about ransomware because you have a lot of experience in that, so I know you're going to be sharing a lot of great insights uh, on, on the topic. Now, I know it's been a while since you were on the show, so can you give us uh, a quick minute or two about yourself, what you do, and how you got into what you do? So um, I am an ex-CISO, and currently I, I work as a CISO advisor bringing my experience and knowledge uh, of protecting information to how others can use that information to do things better. And and that's uh, where I am now. But I didn't get into this uh, in a very planned way. I, I really wanted to, I started off as a network guy, and then rather I started as a sales guy, and then became a network guy, and then became a security guy a consultant, but the real transformation happened when I became an auditor, because that's what taught me the rest of everything that I learned. Because when you have an auditor's perspective, you're looking for those things, those little warning signs that you could, you, you should be looking at in case you're taking a road ahead. The CISO role uh, is something that I, I've been uh, very excited about all this time. And I've gathered a lot of uh, a lot of shine, you know, like a rolling stone, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of shine. And that shine is due to the fact that the CISO roles have evolved over a period of time. And, and it's become more and more complex as we go forward, because earlier there was no CXO who, have, who was about information security. We had, we had a CEO, we had a CIO, we had a CRO, a CFO. But information security is relatively new in the sense it's been only around five to 10 years at the most. And it is now that uh, very, very many people are trying, are getting on to get a seat at the board where they're able to advise. I mean, cybersecurity is becoming a board topic. And Mm -hmm. I, I thought this is the right time to get away from doing an active CISO job and get into an advisory role where I can teach other people and train other people on how to be an effective CISO uh, while they're doing what they're doing. 
Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you here. And it's interesting what you just said about CISO being a new role. I've actually known two people um, that were vice presidents in information technology or somewhere in there, uh, promoted to CISO, and all of a sudden they told me their world changed. <laughs> there were so many different things that they had no idea. They, they just kind of assumed, or board members or somebody assumed that, oh, security is an IT thing, fine, we'll just... You know, we'll just lump it in with all the rest of the stuff. And um, people got promoted into these roles, but they weren't ready for it. And and you're absolutely right, because a, a CISO is not like the other CXOs, because who have to deal with what their organization has to do. So, for example, the CIO has to deal with IT and how proliferation of IT will be in better business. The CFO will focus on finance and how the, you know, how, proper practices in finance will help the company who do better mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. The CISO has to deal not only with what the information security team has to do or the cybersecurity team has to do. The CISO has also got to deal with what the cyber attackers are doing and how do we keep track. So it's quite complex because it's, it's one thing to look inside and do things. It's another thing to look inside and keep a Hawks eye outside. I mean, if you look at what the CISOs are discussing today, they're discussing about Klopp ransomware. They're discussing about uh, a particular hacker team who has been active in stealing information. They're discussing about anything but cybersecurity of their own organization, just so that they know what threats they're facing and how they can actively counter those threats when mm -hmm. it comes when the time comes. Well, let's ask the very first question because our topic today is ransomware. What is ransomware? So uh, um, ransomware basically is a malicious software. And, and the whole idea is to, you know, somehow land on a, on a computer and encrypt files and make the computer system inaccessible to the users or the owners or whatever you call that. Um, most of it is, uh, you know, and they can do many things. They can they can encrypt your uh, master boot record. They could encrypt files. They could encrypt your login. Uh, so many things that they can do today with technology going on and on. Uh, who knows? Maybe there'll be an AI which will be able to do something more like that. But there are a few other facets that we must understand. Uh, a ransomware means that the there is a ransom that people would demand. And the ransom is demanded after uh, the encryption is in place and you're no longer able to use your system. The ransom demand is made uh, and the extortion is, is in multiple phases because first you send a ransom demand and then you say that the ransom demand doubles every three days or two days or five days. That depends on who the player is and what kind of information they have uh, to make that demand uh, for ransom. And again, uh, this kind of extortion could be a one-time extortion, which means I locked your fire computer, give me some money. It could be a double extortion, which means I locked your file, I've got your data as well. And if you don't give me the money, I'm going to not let you unlock your file, your system, and I'm going to expose your data on the internet. Uh, it could even be triple that 
I have your data, I have I have locked up your computer and I know that you're vulnerable to a distributed denial of service attack and I can knock you off the internet um, whenever I want. So there are all kinds of uh, these attacks that happen. But uh, the, the bigger bigger issue about ransomware is not really the, the malicious actor or people who attack. Of course, there's an aspect of how they got in and, and, and what they can do with it. But there are other aspects which are absolutely non-technical that one has to deal with. And we will delve into deeper as we go ahead. Yeah. But at a high level, those issues are about if you are asked for a ransom, how does your country allow you to make a ransom payment or not? Because there are laws about it. Uh, and if if you do make a payment, how do you make that payment? Because usually ransom demands are made in Bitcoins. So, um, and and if you're a company whose, whose financial system is not based on Bitcoins, you're obviously not going to make um, Bitcoins readily available. How do you get them? Uh, and then what about cyber insurance? You've got cyber insurance in place. How does that play in this whole ballgame? So, what I'm trying to say is that there are technical aspects, there are non-technical aspects, and like any crisis, the biggest element, as you are already aware, is communications. So we've seen companies who've uh, not made good communications go down because when you don't communicate to the rest of the world properly, uh, chances are your stock value is going to go down. And we've also seen companies who've made absolutely great communication in saying coming forward and making disclosures um, as minimal as necessary, at the same time keeping people assured, stakeholders known that you know there's work in place and they are doing great. So uh, at a high level, that's what is all about ransomware. Well, I'm going to ask the first question here. How do you identify that you have a ransomware attack, considering that when a company finds out that they're under attack or they're, you know, they, they've received that dreaded phone call, the, the uh, software, the, the ransomware software, the malware, the whatever word you want to use, has been in their system for weeks or months. So what happens to identify that, wow, we have this? How do you recommend so I'm, I'm going to break it up into two parts. Um, one part is when do you really find out? Um, if you've not invested in preparing for ransomware, then you will find out from that notice that pops up on your screen saying that this computer is locked now, mm -hmm. or maybe somebody makes a phone call, which I think it doesn't happen anymore so much as much as you get an email or a pop-up on your screen. That Those happens more. Uh, those happen more. But uh, until that day, uh, if you don't know that you've been infected, uh, then you're late. Now, of course, uh, there are other things that you can do. So in terms of preparation, there are two things that you can do. One, you need to invest in visibility of deviations. For example, you know, uh, 
let's say you are you're finding and this used to be a practice long long back if your computer is taking too much time if it's become very slow your network has become very slow and obviously there is something wrong somewhere that used to be the scenario that we used to do earlier but now there are tools and technologies that are available which look at your logs which look at your traffic which look at all of these things and which can tell you that something is wrong and then you can go deeper and find out well i have ransomware or i don't have ransomware or i may have ransomware it can be any of those things so uh so the first thing that you need to understand is that there needs to be an investment in what we call in the industry as observability so that you find out that okay there's a possibility of ransomware here or there's definitely ransomware here or there's something else other than ransomware so observability is is an investment that enterprises need to make to figure out that they are they've already been attacked or they're about to be attacked um case in point there are there are technologies which are called as which monitor files so if the file changes if the parameter of the file changes then it's assumed that there's something wrong so that's one way to do it there are um database activity monitoring tools um there are uh, there are tools that tell you about traditional signature based analysis which tells you if this signature is found in your uh network then probably you're infected but again those are older technologies modern technology today then there are a lot of companies who are doing that um there are mechanisms by which you can find out what is called as an indicator of an attack so there are two components that i'm going to talk to you about one is called as an indicator of an attack the second is an indicator of a compromise an indicator of of compromise is something that you figure out after you've been attacked but an indicator of an attack is something that tells you that you're possibly under attack and an indicator of an attack could be many things and there is internet is rife with all this information i don't think we have the time to get into what that is but to your point uh an indicator of an attack could also be done by behavioral analysis for example uh you're finding that uh you you're finding that there is a communication that shouldn't be and it's happening and then you realize oh it's possibly that i'm infected so that brings me to the second part which is the first one is about how do you have observability how do you know about whether you're infected or not the second is you use a mechanism to protect and to uh limit the ability for someone to attack you and and if i look at that there are various factors in this if you look at how people communicate so let's say you're a valid user you want to get into your company's systems so you are going to have an identity that's going to work on an endpoint and using that endpoint you're going to connect to some kind of a network edge today vpns are old story so people have all these cloud based connectivities let's forget all of that let's say you want to connect to a firewall and then go inside your company you still have to reach an edge and after that edge you reach to uh you reach to a compute area where there's a server it could be on the cloud it could be on prem it could be anywhere 
And on that server, you have that application which you want to use. And within that application lies the data that you really need. So all this to reach to the data. Now, which means that there are various ways in which we can put roadblocks to people who are coming in. So the first point we talked about was endpoint. There are tools that are today called as EDR, endpoint detection and response. These tools are able to detect deviations from normal and sometimes kill those. They just act as process killers. That's good. That's also not so good in many places. But some of the, the prominent players in that market are, are doing a phenomenal job of making the EDR happen. But EDR is not alone because your attack may not happen on the endpoint. Your attack may happen on the edge. So some attacker, I, I talked about distributed denial of service. So it's like, if you remember, Yahoo went down long back for some time. And, and the reason that they went down is some threat actor was throwing petabytes of traffic onto their gateway. So if you have that kind of a traffic coming to you, you know, continuously, your gateway is doing nothing but processing that traffic, which means all the other users are not getting to your gateway. So your system becomes unavailable. That's one way, but that's your gateway. Now, someone could attack your gateway. Someone could uh, try to, you know, fool the gateway to get in because today's attackers are not people who come in through your main, through your main door using a sword or a gun. They are people who sneak inside. So, so they want to come in and they want to attack your application. Sometimes you publish applications on the internet. I mean, most of the applications that we use, your banking application, your e-commerce application, you want to buy from Amazon. Everything is on the net, right? And there are, there are even there are gateways on the net. Each of these well-known companies also use various gateways. But at the end, you land on what is called as the compute part where you have the server. So there are technologies there. There's something called as segmentation and micro-segmentation. So when you use micro-segmentation, you create what are called as micro-segments, which says, okay, so if uh, Alex comes in and if he's going to use uh, my, uh, my uh, you know, Amazon website, then from there, Alex cannot go anywhere else. But Amazon Web Server can connect to the backend and only using port XXX to pick up this information and present it to Alex on the presentation layer. I can go down that granular. That's called a micro-segment. Investment in micro-segment today makes, that's your last line of defense because after that, you have, all you've got is the data. Of course, there are, there are ways in, and means in which you can protect the data. There are technologies called as DLP, which is data loss protection. So you can you can put in a, a rule for that that says that you know no matter what happens, this data is not going out. And you can train the, the tool and with the advent of artificial intelligence, all this, these things have become easier now. So you can make a rule that says, okay, this uh, preparing for unexpected is the phrase that if that's there in my document, that doesn't go out. Of course, now we have evolved way beyond keywords. There are uh, these DLP tools are able to even identify large documents, databases. And if you put a rule that says, don't let the database go out, they won't. 
they'll just stop it at the gateway. So if you're even if your ransomware attacker has come in, and and there is a process that 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 attack happens, and I'm going to spend a minute on that uh, if you give me time. So when the ransomware attacker comes in, even if he tries to pick up, even if he does, he does encrypt your system. He won't be able to take out the data because the data is locked. If he comes in, so the way this happens is uh, there's something called as MITRE attack framework. Um, it's available on the internet and anybody can go there and find out. They have uh, an 11 or 13 stage definition of how attacks happen. In fact, I'm, I'm fascinated with that framework because they've gone down to defining tactics and techniques freely available on the internet for everybody to use which precisely defines what an attack looks like. That's like uh, the basic tool for any CISO, I would say, across the world. You need to understand that. And I'm very impressed with the work that MITRE is, has done and is con continuing to do. So what happens during an attack is first there's a recon. People go and find out what they can attack. So you can't stop that. Then they do an initial access. So when they do an initial access, uh, that means they have found out what they can attack. They found a vulnerability. And now they're getting in. The other problem is fixing vulnerabilities itself is a challenge. Uh, I, I don't know how many people have told you, but it's not easy to fix all vulnerabilities because it requires downtime. It's also not easy to figure out how many vulnerabilities I will fix. That's a different challenge altogether. So coming to the point, if initial access has been done, then after the initial access, people try and establish what is called as a command and control, which is a remote, you know, you know, remote interface which the attackers can use to come in and go out. You talked about a certain number of days. It's 180 days that used to be before the initial access and the next stage, which is the lateral movement. So the micro-segmentation helps you in stopping lateral movement. The initial attack can be stopped through EDR. And then if the command and control is set up, your observability will tell you from reading the logs that, look, there is looking like an activity which shouldn't be happening. You go there and you find the command and control and you can destroy it. But that doesn't mean that will go away. In fact, uh, it can keep recurring, and depending on how good the attackers are and how weak you are, it can continuously happen. So it's only after the lateral movement has succeeded, and per recent Gartner, was it CrowdStrike? I think it was CrowdStrike who came up with a report that said that now it's no longer 180 days. After initial access, if you don't have the mechanism to stop lateral movement, your attack can happen in two days. Wow, that's a big difference. Yeah, so so people are, so this is happening right now. I mean, look at what AI can do. Today, uh, I, I don't know if you read in the news that there was a gentleman in the US who received a call from his daughter saying that, you know, dad, I've been kidnapped and they've taken all my money and I'm stuck here. I want you to send some money to this number, et cetera, et cetera. And he got very worked up and thank goodness he called his daughter. She said, "No, nothing happened to me. Who told you all this?" He said, "I received a call just not, just right now from your voice." So that's AI voice modeling. 
there are many ways people are getting in. There is a very famous case about ransomware at a, and, and ransomware attacks. These guys are very smart. Earlier, the mm-hmm. ransomware attacks used to happen on financial industry, on e-commerce, where they see money happening. Um, ever since 2021, they figured out it's far lucrative to attack a critical industry uh, or rather the utilities than the financial industry. So uh, remember the the pipeline attack that happened some time mm-hmm. back? Yeah. 2021, right? So the idea was to, to choke the billing systems so that sooner or later, these guys are going to lose money because they can't bill, but the gas keeps going out, right? And then they're going to stop the gas. If they stop the gas, then that's the Eastern starboard, which means all the vehicles will start piling up on the on the highway, and that has a cascading effect into the country's economy. Mm-hmm. So well, um, we, we've only got about one minute left in this segment. Oh, sure. Thank you. So um, to to come back to your point, you know, how, how do you know that you've been attacked? Uh, you need to have a combination of all these to understand that there are symptoms of an attack. It's something like uh, symptoms are available. They're, they're widely available on the internet. So it's not like COVID-19 that, you know, phase one, you had, <laughs> you had some other symptoms. Phase two, you had some other symptoms. No, the symptoms are more or less the same. The behavioral understanding is available. If you are able to invest in the abilities to protect and detect, then chances are that you will know about your ransomware infection much, much before you see that dirty screen. Mm -hmm. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking about ransomware with Agni Sarkar. And in our second segment, we're going to talk about what happens when you discover you are under attack, how to respond. We'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in for And Security for All, hosted by Kim Hakem. Each week, we look into a different aspect of cybersecurity, which is important to know for anyone who is involved with the Internet daily which is probably all of us. We take the technical jargon and make it easier to understand while helping you to identify weaknesses and issues in your own cybersecurity and fix them now. And Security for All is broadcast live every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Agni Sarkar about ransomware. Agni, great first segment. Uh, a lot of good examples in there. Um, and uh, the nice thing is a lot of what you were talking about was practical examples, not theoretical. You're not talking from a book. You're, you've are you actually been in the position of a CISO and talking with CISO. So it's really good to get this different kind of perspective. Um, my first question for you uh, for segment two is, who's responsible for all of this? You mean protecting? Yeah, protecting the the whole, uh, you know, getting us set up, making sure we have response plans. Who who's really responsible? I know it's easy to say the CISO, but I've got a feeling well, there's more than that. There is, there is, there is far more than that. Um, at the end of the day, the CISO is responsible for formulating the whole defense and the mechanism to respond. That's very very important. But there are other elements in there. For example, um, business continuity plays a role. For example, crisis management plays a role. In fact, crisis management has a bigger role in cyber crisis management than uh, business continuity has in there. But to go back to, to, to the beginning, the whole premise of what will happen when and who will do what is something that the CISO needs to have multiple stakeholders on on the table and then they need to discuss. For example, and I've met many people who who make this mistake, people think that, oh, if we get attacked, uh, one of the first things that you need to do is to isolate. That's the normal practice. So there are are two things that can happen. So you, you got the notice of an attack and now you are taking the steps to isolate. Unless you have, you have implemented, let's say, something like micro-segmentation or, or ring-fencing applications, you will not have a ransomware kill button or rather a button to a single, with a single press of a button, you should be able to isolate a part of the segment. You know, in today's world where everything is virtual, uh, there are still physical networks because mm-hmm. if ransomware does attack and it spreads very fast, if you have backup on the same network, if you're not done your due diligence on moving the backup into something that's immutable, then you are in for an attack. Uh, I mean, even your backup would be infected. There are tools and technologies that are available for making your backup better. But the point is, if you get attacked, your first step is quarantine because that would give you some time before you can your leadership can respond. As I said, they give you two to three days to respond and then the ransom money doubles, right? Now, chances are that if you, and most people assume that they have backups. So it's not about having a backup. It's about it's about having a backup that you have continuously tested that it works when it is needed, right? So, so let's say you do have that and, and the systems that got ransomware, so to say, um, when we're not, uh, we're in a, such a state that you can recover now, and it's that it's not something that you have lost everything. You have got something at the backup, and you're able to recover. And your backup is not infected, then that's good news. But the first thing that you do is try and quarantine. 
Now, when you, tr- when you try and quarantine, two things can happen. Either you succeed in quarantine or you don't succeed in quarantine. If you don't succeed in quarantine, then you go to phase two. But if you succeed in quarantine, two things can happen again. Either a small part of your network is infected, and that's the one that you quarantined, uh, which has no impact on your um, on your organization's ability to you know, continue doing business, or it has an impact on your organization's ability to do business. Maybe your your ability to deliver products is is hampered because that's the network that got impacted, or your ability to provide salaries is is not available. It, it has got hampered, or like in the case that we talked about the the pipeline situation, right, where the billing system got impacted. So it depends on whether your quarantine succeeded or not. But let's step back a little more ahead. Who is who can disconnect a, a, an enterprise? If you really ask me, the CISO can't, unless the CISO has been blessed by the board to do it, which means you need to go to the board and say, look, guys, if tomorrow something does happen, you need to give me a delegation of authority so that I can disconnect the network. I can take that call. If you don't have the delegation of authority, then after you disconnected, someone can sue you and you're in trouble. Even though you wanted to do good. Yeah. Did you want to ask me something? Yeah, I was just thinking, going, wouldn't a CISO have that authority already as part of their role to be able to do that? No. No? No. No, no CISO has the authority to disconnect a network by definition of the job role. It's not there in the job description. Hmm. The CISO has the authority to recommend. But there is no one, unless the organization has really thought about it, there is no one person who's authorized to disconnect a network specifically without an impact, without somebody questioning that disconnection. And you know, in any organization, um, these things happen. If you're on the board, there will be at least three people on the board who are going to ask you, who told you to? What was the reason why you disconnected the whole network? Why you couldn't have done it you know, lesser than that? And there's so many such questions. The point is, that while you do what you're supposed to do, you still need to be authorized to do it, right? Because that's the right thing to do. So that's just an example of how much you need to think about it at a board level and prepare for it. Because this is not a technical stuff. This is more, you know, organizational mandates that you need to have. If it is there in a job description, very good. That's the good point. But that's not what happens with most of the CISO fraternity. They don't have that mandate. So now that you succeeded in, in let's say, quarantining it, and, oh, sorry, suppose your quarantine failed. You tried, you did quarantine it, but uh, the ransomware spread much before you could act on it. Uh, in that unfortunate situation, now you need to go to stage two, which means now you need to get into cyber crisis management. You need to convene your cyber crisis council and then Rather, the group of wise old men who are going to come and decide, oh, this is what we're going to do. You're going to get those people in and they're going to take a decision on what to do next. Now, that also means that you need to have a predefined cyber crisis council who need to come 
I'm just giving it a name. You could call it by any name. You could call it cyber crisis management team or whatever, because you can't get access to the board every day. You can only call them four times a year at the most. So you need to go to them, get their blessings for starting a council like that or a committee like that and get your CEO or the top of the at the top of that council, get a mandate for the CEO to get everything else done. For example, let's say you do find out that, well, in spite of all the protection and the detection that I've done, uh, the investment that I've done, what really got impacted is is going to impact us, is going to cost us a, cost us a loss of face or, or the impact is so high that the CEO is not able to take that risk. In that case, now you need to pay for ransom. And if you have to pay for ransom, then as I said earlier, you know, someone has to uh, talk to the language of the hacker, which means you need a negotiator, someone who has the who has the experience and the reach to be able to convince the hacker that you know what, we have this problem, we have that problem. Um, we know you've done a great job uh, of you know locking it up, but please, please, please reduce your ransom amount or give us more time or something like that. So it's something similar to uh, a, a kidnapping situation where you negotiate with the ransom, uh, with the kidnapper, right? Here you are negotiating with the ransom, uh, with the guy who ransomed you. Is that person internal to the organization, or do you sometimes have to bring somebody external? They're experts. They're they're always experts, and they're external. Sometimes your cyber uh, cyber insurance company they have links to such people, so you could ask if you've got cyber insurance, you could ask them to provide you with a list of negotiators who are widely available in your geography, and you could go in for a retainer with them. Because please remember that when things go wrong, you need that person to be available to you on demand. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the retainers come in. So which means now you need a retainer to be in place so that you can call on the negotiator when time comes. And if that happens, then the negotiator needs to come in and do some negotiation. But before you do that, we need to know a couple of other things. We need to know that you have anywhere between 24 to 48 hours before you decide that you're going to pay ransom. Which means that when you kick in your cyber crisis management program or cyber crisis council, you need to have done an analysis of what is made famous by COVID-19 as patient zero. Who was the first where the attack happened? And how did that get how did that happen? And now what the impact is? Where are we versus where we were on day one? How many systems are impacted? And and what's the what's the overall business impact if these are not available by X number of days? So your entire recovery time objective gets impacted by these topics. So you know, the good old days of BCP where we had an RTO and a RPO we had planned, still relative. Because you need your RPO to recover your systems. You need your RTO to recover your systems. But if the if the systems themselves are encrypted, then the RTO and R, RPO has gone out of the window by that time. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's a little bit complex, but you still need to get that. And the time that you have 
is nothing more less than nothing more than 48 hours you need to take a call by that time and go to your crisis council and say guys we need to pay ransom or you need to appeal to the ceo saying that okay you take the call but these are the conditions it seems like it would be better if we pay ransom versus if we don't so that's the that's the first time the second so thing I, that I just i just want to clarify so we want to have an assessment to know where we stand within 48 hours right yes okay maximum ideally within so if you're in india for example india has a law that says you need to notify the authorities in 6 hours yeah there's something like that over here now as well you you in can't <laughs> No, that's okay. But I don't think that's the law in Canada. In Canada, you get a little more time. In India, they started a law that says that, or a regulation, not a law, uh, that says that you need to notify a computer emergency response team in six hours if you get cyber attacked. And there are about 20 different kind of attacks listed in that. There's a form. Mm. Now, if that happens, if you get attacked, and, and God forbid, you got attacked and your customer comes to know first, then you're in a totally different kind of timeline there if you get attacked and you get to know about it first you're on a different timeline if you you get attacked the world knows about it you're on a different timeline so one is within within the 24 hours you need to do that the second assessment that you need to do is it has there been a material breach because if there has been a material breach you need to notify the market your market regulator for example the you know what is it called in the us i i really don't know but you know wall street needs to know uh, or, or your stock exchange needs to know sec needs to know that there has been a breach and you would be you'll get hit your revenue will get hit or something like that you need to let them know which means that assessment has to go on which means your cfo has to get involved and that's another authority you need to get so that you're able to make that assessment so once you have got these pieces figured out then you know okay these are my dependencies these are my regulatory exposures if you are for example in the pharma industry where i was earlier uh, then you also have the mm, the requirement of preparing for uh, what is now called as computer systems validation let's say you 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 got ransomware and then you so basically you have a system which has been validated for use in the uh, for to be uh, you know a, a system with an integrity its integrity has been approved by let's say the fda or some other authority to say that yes this is a dependable system because when you sell drugs you need to be able to have dependable systems which have integrity and then you got hit by ransomware you you go to your backup you recover from backup but you still need to get that validated so which means that your recovery time your original what do you call that maximum time maximum mtpd acceptable maximum tolerable period of disruption oh. was let's say 5 days but you realize that if you have to bring up a quality system uh, through computer system validation it takes 2 weeks so your mtpd is just got breached and that's what i'm saying again things that you need to know before and you need to plan earlier so that you're able to address this so 
once you have conquered these elements, and let's say you do pay ransom, uh, one of the other things is to figure out how you'll get your Bitcoins. Sometimes your law doesn't allow you to pay Bitcoins. Sometimes uh, your law doesn't allow you to pay ransom. That's another problem. But then if your law does allow you to pay in Bitcoins, um, and if you have some mechanism to pay it, you need to make sure that the negotiator is aware and he or she is able to negotiate that deal and you're able to pay the ransom where ransom and if you're lucky because sometimes they don't give you the key even after you pay the ransom so there there is for example i i believe um i shouldn't i forgot the name of the company name of the attacker there is one attacker in the market who are oh, whose name um, translates to severe pain that's their code name um, is it egregor or something like that Basically, that word means severe pain. So they will take your money and they'll not give you the key. So which means now you are in a bigger trouble. So uh, that's that's what happens when you get attacked. And that's how you need to think of response. But response is not all because you need to have... So first is the initial response, right? So we talked about some timelines and all that. Uh, the next thing for IT to do, for example, is to find out even after you recover your system, are there any additional traces of the infection still in your network? And those could be dormant. Those may not have been triggered. So there is that analysis as well. So you need to put time aside for that assessment. It is only after all these things are over and hopefully you've communicated well. And as I said in the in the last segment, that communication forms a very important part, which again, you need to have a program just like uh, just like you have. So, for example, you got you got hit by ransomware. You cannot put it up on a bulletin board in your company and say, guys, we have ransomware. Next thing you know, it's on a Twitter notice somewhere. So your communications need to be very, very clear. And once you're clear about your communications, in, if you have managed all these elements properly, Usually, even after you're attacked, you probably will get well through it. But the best thing to do is not to get attacked, which means I'm going back to my original statement. Invest in protecting your endpoints. Invest in protecting your network. Invest in micro-segmentation. Invest in data loss protection. Because those are the things. And invest in observability so that you know when things are going wrong. If you've done these few things, then you're better prepared than someone else who's standing right next to you. I hope I was able to put together my thoughts properly. Oh, yeah. Lots of good information. We've we've got three minutes left. Um, <clears throat> can you give uh, take two minutes and give us uh, your response to this question about how do we go about validating these programs that we put in? How do we test this? Any quick ideas um, on that? So, so there is a there is something that you do as a computer uh, as uh, you know it's it's famously called a cyber war games. So there are software that are available that can do that can simulate uh, a cyber crisis. Uh, there is one thing that I forgot to tell you, and that is about investing in the ability to withstand uh, cyber crisis because. 
even if you know those timelines are short, that's not what reality is all about. It is entirely possible that you could be down and out for a month. Mm, true. You need to be able to invest in abilities to withstand that period by continuing to do certain things from other mechanisms. Maybe, for example, if your if your gate pass generating system got ransomware. You need to be able to make manual gate passes and go ahead. If you're in a if you're in a computer, if you're in a shop, and if you're in, let's say, in a retail industry, your billing systems got affected, you should be able to do a manual billing and make sure that the customers have all gone out for the day so that you're able to take corrective action. The ability to withstand is something that most people forget, and that's very important. But coming back to your point, um, there are many of these uh, things that you can do in whatever, uh, when you plan for the ability to detect, to defend, to withstand, and to respond or recover, you need to have all of these exercised like you exercise business continuity. So you need to have to check all of these because processes change, systems change. Your company invests in new systems every time. You need to make sure that you are doing a cyber war game, if that's what you want to call it. You can call it by any other name. Uh, you could call it cyber crisis simulation or something like that. But you need to do that at least every 12 months, if not sooner. Uh, some companies I know about, they've been my customer, they do this upon every change so that they're always updated. So they do one exercise when they change and another when they do it annually. I hope well, I answered that does that answers it very well thank you very much uh agni that was great a lot of good information um i think a lot more detailed and uh a lot more um uh guidance on some things here that uh, i don't think a lot of other people are uh conveying very well and you did a great job of letting us know all these different aspects of ransomware so thank you very much thank you too and as i said now i'm a CISO advisor I come with a whole lot of experience. So if there's someone who wants to reach out to me for help, uh, I'm more than happy to contribute. Well, thank you very much for sharing your time and expertise today, Agni. I really appreciate it. And everyone watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.